you are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Stony Island Audio. And now, it's time for the Dead by Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod. We are back as we record this on Monday, September something. Uh, there's an election here tomorrow. They be sneaking up with these uh, these strange elections, but there's an election tomorrow to um, potentially recall California's governor and replace him with one of 53 people from a clown car <laughs> um, in a rare parliamentarian move that's happening here in california it's actually not rare that's how we got fucking arnold schwarzenegger uh to be governor for a time who actually compared to the people that are running now seems very competent and uh we didn't know that at the time though those were dark times they they really were when we're like i was jealous when uh minnesota got jesse ventura (laughs) i was like why couldn't that be our wrestler like why couldn't we yeah of uh, all the people who starred in predator (laughs) <laughs> why one of those two why did we get arnold uh but i bring this up not to not to uh weigh down our our program with too much politics but because uh i'm working on my ballot gonna turn it in tonight because that's how i roll um and i started looking at the names of the motherfuckers that are running for governor and i'm like a lot of these sound made up <laughs> like like when you you know when you do, the people doing petitions and they just be making up names like harry t nuts and shit like that um they seem made up but they also seem like rapper names so what i what i'd like to do at the outset of this program today ladies and gentlemen i'm joined here by david ma and nate leblanc who didn't know that they were coming to play recall or rapper <laughs> all right i'm gonna i'm gonna roll off these names and you're gonna tell me if these are people that are running for governor in the recall election are actual rappers all right all right let's go let's get into it uh first name that we have denver stoner dave denver stoner recall a rapper of the the famous councilman (laughs) (laughs) um that that's got to be a recall right that's denver stoner is a recall but i really feel like (laughs) they should start a rap career it's too unsubtle for rap yeah Yeah. marijuana anthems yeah yes um actually toured with burner uh (laughs) all right nate nate major sane major sane that sounds like a rapper to me uh is he major saying like damon damon wayans or low down dirty even no 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 i'm sorry i'm sorry that's so good uh dana dane it is actually dana dane is one of the 53 it's nightmares no i'm just kidding um I, it was major sing i'm sorry i did not pronounce oh, it with the uh, proper recall a rapper i see i i'm gonna go recall then Recall, Major Singh, <laughs> recall, but should drop a hot mixtape with that name. Maybe he can sing the hooks. Oh. Nice. <laughs> Mixed reaction on that one. Oh. Uh, Dave, Dave, this is this is a hot one. Chauncey Slim Killins. 
man, I, I'm I'm equal. I'm showing my my ignorance in both rap and politics. Um, <laughs> I guess I guess a politician. Politician, yes, Chauncey Slim Killings uh, could be our next governor. Uh, which yeah, is I like gonna... that he brings us to the point where we note that that is this is Slim Pickens, hey. and we, we have to vote no on the recall. <laughs> Uh, yes, you do. We can, we're, we're partisan on this program. Uh, Nate, recall our rapper, Nicholas Wildstar. Oh, wow. Uh, no smiles, just all South Star. Um, <laughs> uh, Nicholas Wildstar. That actually sounds like a, a comic book character's real name when he becomes like a alien being yeah. in the beginning and they're tipping yes. it with his name in the front. Uh, I, I'm assuming you didn't look up any rapper names, so these are all just recall. So I'll just go recall. <laughs> You're going recall. Nicholas Wildstar was actually the fifth member of Group Pump. No, I'm just kidding. Nicholas, <laughs> Nicholas Wildstar is actually running uh, for governor. Could be the new governor if shit goes bad tonight. All right, last one, Dave. Last one, and I'm gonna spell it out just so you know I'm not playing. Angeline. A-N-G-E-L-Y-N-E. Angeline. One name? Politician? One, one name. Jeez. I, recall I a rapper. I don't even know. Um, She's uh, the Mary Carey of this recall. Like, oh, I remember when Mary it? Carey ran last, last time. Oh, I have two reasons <laughs> to not forget her, yes. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. So she she's the freak of the, of Industry. the ballot. Yeah. <laughs> Can we recall recall collection? Are, Recall, elections, elections yes yes absolutely i'm here for it uh like, angeline is actually a uh nicaraguan entertainer on arista records not actually a rapper but mm. she should consider it with this name uh, especially if the recall doesn't go her way it, angeline famously has had a billboard in la for like 40 years she just keeps paying for she's like a kind of like a medusa or no oh, not really? medusa Whoa. what's what's her name the uh uh elvira Oh, it's kind of, it's kind uh, of okay. like a hot pink okay. Elvira. She's like a sex symbol, is my understanding of okay. it. I don't know what okay. she actually does or what her job is, but she's maintained this billboard on like the Sunset Strip for like forty years. That's all is I that know. That's right. About it. Okay, Man, that is okay. That's some information, Nate. Yeah, that's why you come to a lot of useless <laughs> information in here. If you guys ever want to crack it open and get any out, oh, uh, we're we're here for it on a weekly basis. Uh, we are the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Uh, Hopefully, if you're in California, you've cast your ballot to no on the recall. But, uh, you know, as, as goofy as this shit seems, I can't take anything for granted anymore. So we'll be hit, hitting out to the uh, Office of Registrars, dropping off my ballot. Uh, shout out to Denver Stoner, Major Singh, Chauncey Slim Killens, Nicholas Wildstar, and Angeline. Watch out for their new super group. They are the slaughterhouse of recall elections uh, coming out next They're week. The uh, freshman class. Yeah. <laughs> the XL freshman class. I, I was just going through that uh, before we got on air and I was just fucking astonished. I, I didn't even turn it over. I just took out the blue or black pen. Mark, no, put it back in the thing. I didn't even look at these fools. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fucking ridiculous. But Nate, what rapper... Would you, if the recall goes through and you could select a rapper to be governor, uh, who would you go with? Has to be California. Has to be a California rapper. That's Mm. interesting. Can we do someone who moved here, or does it have to be a California? (laughs) No, no, you can move here. That's total, total politician shit. I'm gonna go common. We've been talking about common a lot. Uh, He proved that he can rap again with his LA Lakers freestyle. He's lived here for many years. 
seems okay. to have a good head of, you know, I was going to say a good head of hair, a good head on his shoulders. <laughs> uh, that's one thing he doesn't have. Uh, trolling, Nate. He trolling. seems like a sharp guy. We, I could take him. If Schwarzenegger could do it, Common could do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dave, who would be your vote for a California rapper if Newsom is unseated? Oh, man. I can't even, I, I, I didn't even have that in my head. I was thinking Chuck D just because, you know, you, you, you have he the would. S1Ws. Oh, to be security. Yeah, of course, right? of course. Right. Let him move yeah. in with you, so he has California residency, so he can be our governor. Oh man, oh man, it's a it's a crazy time here, but we keep chugging along with the Dad Bod Rap Pod. In uh, non gubernatorial news, uh, we have a dope episode lined up for you guys. We have an interview with DJ Yella of the world's most dangerous group, NWA. Oh man. It's big. It's big. I'm really excited about uh, sharing this interview with y'all. Um, but before we do that, and this is episode 187, uh, we wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about NWA legacy, how we found out about them, um, and what what does NWA mean in the current context? It's a very, very interesting group, uh, something that I grew up on, and I know the bros definitely have deep connections to. So l- let's get into it. Um, I, being the oldest of, of this group, um, I was introduced to NWA through NWA and Da Posse, mm. which is a, was a kind of an EP that came out uh, before Straight Outta Compton. Uh, I used to kind of pal around with the local mobile DJ crew, uh, and they would play joints from this, like Dope Man uh, and Something to Dance To. And it was like before NWA had fully figured out their formula, but they had all the pieces were there. Um, and they cussed. So it's hard. It's hard to understate how shocking and engaging it was in like, you know, whatever, 87, 88, to hear people unab- unapologetically cussing on record. Um, and also, I had this vague sense that they were not from New York. I didn't fully understand that they were from Los Angeles, but um, they stepped into a sound that kind of was like, in the vein of Rodney O and Joe Cooley, but somehow cooler than that. Um, very tough, very street. The record cover is amazing. It's before they had figured out um, that the all black aesthetic was the move. Uh, so Yella talks about that a little bit in the interview. But I just remember being so struck by it and thinking like, this is really cool. This is really dangerous. Um, it was my first time understanding that music could be dangerous and you shouldn't play it around your parents. That that was the, the main takeaway uh, for me in NWA. And later on, I got straight out of Compton. I think I played that. Me and my friends played it on the bus and our headphones for like every day of seventh grade. Like we just played straight out of Compton year, memorized all the lyrics. So it was fun to kind of go back. And it was also problematic to kind of go back. It was very interesting. Like, ooh, <laughs> ooh, I was radicalized on some really weird stuff very young. Um, but but that's me. I'm an I'm an old head. Dave Ma, when you were Yo. running the the main streets of Santa Clara, um, <laughs> as a young as a youngster, when and where did you find NWA? Um, I, I I was poor growing up, so we we used to live in these apartments, and it was this older kid who brought me a tape of of uh, Straight Outta Compton, and um, that always struck me for sort of the same reason that reasons that you mentioned. It was like what the fuck are they cussing about oh my god <laughs> who's strawberry the neighborhood ho what is going on like dope man blew me away you know and totally yeah. like yeah. we would dub that we would dub the tapes and like 
share them with our friends and their parents would find the tapes and they'd get in trouble. Like we're literally in mm-hmm. fourth or fifth grade. And, oh my um, God. And if, I mean, and if you go back and look at my tape purchasing history, like I used to go to like the warehouse and stuff, just like I'm sure you guys used to, but I wasn't like picking up the coolest shit as a fourth grader. I got like Paul <laughs> Abdul, uh, you know, tapes, you know, but, um, Shout but, out MC was, Scat Cat. <laughs> but that was like, you know, this was like the first thing that actually through the years, like remained cool. So yeah. Um, straight out of Compton was the first time. Um, I, I heard NWA and you know, the track that stood out to me is Compton's in the Compton's in the house. Um, I don't know if you guys were going to bring that up or if we're, if we were sort of, um, dissecting songs yet, but, um, just like when, uh, just for cats who like listen to the show, Damone gives us prompts. And like, as soon as you gave us that prompt, I was like, Oh, perfect. Um, Compton's in the house is it starts off kind of like a skit. And then mm-hmm. there's a lot of back and forth. And their voices are so distinct on it, um, especially Easy es And they just, I mean, they're rhyming at the same time. It's probably their most sort of fleshed out routine song. Yes, yes. And um, I always loved it, dude. I, and I, I can rap that song from front to back, which is really strange, you know. Um, and there's sound, there's sound effects in it, too. And yeah. Compton's definitely in the motherfucking house. To the people over here, to the people over there, to the people, the people, the people, people, the people, the people, people from everywhere watching the show, paying top dollars because they know when we're on the stage, we're in a motherfucking rain. So Dre, what up? Why don't you get the 12 gang? Yeah. What, what, I, what I thought years later is that that track kind of sounded like a, kind of like an in-studio fun uh, freestyle thing from mm-hmm. like the East Coast. Um, it yep. didn't, it did, you know, it didn't have... That, that menace that um, Straight Outta Compton, the song, did. So, um, yeah, man, uh, what that made me realize was that Compton was cool and that where I was from was not. <laughs> no, for real, for real. As like a right, right, You know, because right. at first, when you first hear NWA, they're menacing, they're kind of scary. And right. then on, on Compton, Compton's in the house, they're rapping about how everybody is fronting like they're from Compton now. And it's like, oh, they're, they're mean and cool. You know? <laughs> at the same time. At the same time. So... Yeah, that's yeah. sort of my that's sort of my early um, origin story with uh, NWA. Mind blowing as a kid. To the people over here, to the people over there. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, Nate LeBlanc, um, who is from the the Compton of San Jose, which is Evergreen, <laughs> as we know. Um, how and how and when did you encounter NWA? And yeah, and yeah what's the song that that stands out for you? I feel like. Um... I heard about them as a news phenomenon more than okay. I heard about them as a musical phenomenon. Like I learned later that that's what, that's what the big fuss was all about. You know what I mean? Like right, I wouldn't be right. surprised if the first time I heard about NWA was from like Kurt Loder or Tabitha Soren, mm-hmm. like doing a news break on MTV. Like they'd been banned or they had a concert shut down or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I feel like I saw them before I heard them. My one childhood story is about NWA. And I think I might've told some kind of version of this on the podcast before I was the president of my elementary school. And so part <laughs> of my responsibilities was we booked the DJs and like did kind of like the financial aspects of paying for the dances. So oh, nice. in, you know, that part, in our part of San Jose, there were many, many mobile DJ crews, somebody's cousin, 
you know, had a mobile DJ crew. So we would, we would book them to play, to play the dances. So I would get out of class and we would be putting up the streamers or whatever. And I've always been into music. So I would always go and like, try to like befriend the DJs. So if you can imagine this, like really, really like painfully dorky (laughs) white kid going up to some like, you know, 17 year old Filipino mobile DJ going like, Hey, no one's here yet. Can you play some NWA? (laughs) (laughs) And he was kind of flipping through his records. And I think I I remember this moment very clearly in my life. And he was just like, I don't think the principal would like that very much. (laughs) And kind of sent sent me packing. So um, yeah, kind of similar to some other artists that we, we talk to and talk about, like we kind of treated their tapes like party records. Like we listened secretly and like surreptitiously. And like we, we, it felt, naughty you know what i oh, mean for sure that, for that sure. aspect of it came first and then like appreciating the musicianship and the layering and the mm-hmm. menace and the socio-political commentary aspects of it came quite a bit later i would say but um yeah i mean nwa the world's most dangerous group i think has to be talked about as expert marketers and oh yes people easy yes, in particular 100. just like really really understood how to pick at the scabs of kind of the mainstream and just like see where the blood let out you know what i mean it was just it's fascinating listening back to it today i have to say uh we'll talk about this more but like it's so misogynistic for no no reason for no reason and like as a fourth grader it's like ah ah, ah." (laughs) even as a seventh grader i'm like whoa 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 you know and that's like three years later and i'm in middle school yeah it's just it's just that's the big stand out right now but i mean there's a there's a lot to recommend about this and actually the song that i chose is also a funny one um and i believe that that balance is really important it's mm-hmm. automobile you guys know that song oh yes yes it's on uh ephil forzagon yeah uh, uh, and it is a it's a uh, remake uh, of <laughs> a parliament there, song yes yes gotcha yeah yeah Yeah. and uh it's funny i i listened to both i kind of a b tested the the automobiles uh today (laughs) and this this is what hip-hop did it was take the things that were implied in r&b and make them specific and And explicit gross yeah it's like yeah yeah. the 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 automobile version which like it's they they're just interpolating the first half in the end it's kind of like this like rock and roll bluesy r&b jam um like by like it sounds like it's like by the parliaments it's on a very early parliament record osmium i can never pronounce that record yep anyway um nwa just did it on a piano and a drum machine and like they're singing in the studio and they're kind of joking around and it's violently misogynistic but it all comes back to the kind of like i would call it like a 50s like greaser mentality of like Mm -hmm. you can only ride in my car if you're giving it up kind of thing, right. which is like, right. you know, a, a standard trope. What did they used to say? It's all rapey now, but like. Ass, uh, ass <laughs> rass, or cash or whatever. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Careful, exactly. LeBlanc. Careful. Yeah, no, I know. It's just, these the times have changed and thank God they have, but that was a pretty much standard thing. It's like, if you yeah. want to ride, what are you going to give me? And it makes sex transactional in a gross way. But anyway, I'm actually recommending you listen to this song. It's fun. <laughs> If you be good to me, 
Dre and Easy sing. It, it it actually also really reminds me of that um that jam session on the Grave Diggers record mm. where they're playing their mm. instruments. It's like you just you just, everybody drops their persona and they're just yeah. messing around. It's like a studio fuck around little moment that made it onto the record. And I've always really liked that song and just like did some digging back today to kind of I knew where it came from, but I didn't know how close the versions were. They're basically mm. the same with some right. more cuss words. So anyway, that's a that's fun a that's, that's a really good one, Nate. That's a <laughs> yeah. Really good one, Nate. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes me want to like go back and check it out. Um yeah. Damone, what about yeah. you, man? What what was um, cut? my cut and the clean, very, the clean version. The clean version, <laughs> which which I want to put a pin in that because NWA had some hilarious clean versions. Totally. totally. But um, uh, and this was one of the songs that they did have a clean version for, which um, I know the lyrics to both by heart. Uh, and it's Gangsta Gangsta. Um, I think if I think about foundational experiences, um, it's like public enemies fight the power. And before that it was NWA's gangsta gangsta. Um, and it's because it's so, um, nihilistic. Like it was my first introduction to something that wasn't preaching positive things um you know here's a little something about a like me mm -hmm. never should have been let out the penitentiary. the penitentiary i was like wow that <laughs> that to me as a as a seventh grader was like shit he's coming in and telling you that there's nothing morally redeeming about this he's like i shouldn't even be out of prison right now and i'm kicking this to you now the irony is that ice cube is in fucking uh you know hvac school at the time <laughs> but he was expressing such a such a an opposite take of what I had internalized rap to be from the East Coast, which was a lot of um, kind of five percenter inflected things, a lot of Afrocentricity, which I was all into and remained into. But N.W.A., especially through the song Gangsta Gangster and a bunch of other lines that are like, again, horribly problematic, but also foundational. I think right. I spent my late teens like unlearning some of the things that I, I gleaned from those songs. And so um, for me, that song will always stand out in the terms of NWA. And if you do decide to listen to it and you haven't, or you haven't in a while, um, there's multiple layers and Gangsta Gangsta has both of them. Incredible, uh, what I'll call musicianship. Dr. Dre and also Yella, uh, his contributions mm -hmm. as producer, um, there's all these cool cutouts. It has the wild energy, a little bit of like bomb squatty type stuff mm -hmm. where there's going to be samples and shit thrown in all over the place, but you can already see Dre's cinematic vision for the music. All, all the soundscapes, uh, give you an idea and paint a picture of a neighborhood you had never been to. That's not even a really big city. If we think about it, Compton for as much as it's mainstream, is only because of NWA. Like it's not, mm -hmm. I think they mentioned it on Sanford and Son once or something like that. Before that in pop culture, Compton has no weight. And so it's it's uh, evil brilliance, especially on the first two records that you see from NWA. And I just feel like um, they were master marketers to your point, Nate, to the point where they also did these hilarious fucking uh radio versions of these songs so where you have uh gangster gangster 
you know, uh, Ice Cube just being, you know, another cinematic storyteller. The radio version starts with, here's a little something about a brother like me. And like, it just kind of continues on that vein throughout the whole song. And what's amazing as somebody who's, you know, you know, I've rapped before. Um, it's hard to go back and do a song again with a similar energy and just change all of the cuss words. I mean, it's even, even as a writing project, it's pretty freaking ingenious. Um, so I would recommend both listening to Gangsta Gangsta, the explicit version and the radio version. A lot of that is available on Spotify. Um, another thing I found through this like archaeological dig on NWA is there's a version of NWA and the Posse on Spotify right now that has all of these like unreleased tracks, like early DOC and some stuff from a from a group called Phila Fresh, which I believe is the the New York City group that Dre was supposed to be producing that they make fun of in uh, the Straight Out Compton movie. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to it, you understand why. It was kind of this interesting moment where they hadn't uh, nailed down their West Coast gangster aesthetic yet. And they were still toying with pieces of, you know, trying to be Run DMC a little bit, trying to be the Beastie Boys. Like mm -hmm. they hadn't quite found their voice. A young DOC is, is kind of in the middle trying to do things. Um, it's not all amazing songs, but it's a, it's a fascinating listen. So um, for the uninitiated, you know, Strat Out of Compton is, is, a, is a big record and one every hip hop fan should listen to or study a little bit. But I, I do want to recommend NWA and the Posse uh, in this new extended version that has weird songs that I had never heard before. Um, but Nate, you touched on it a little bit. Um, it's super problematic too. It's, it's misogynistic to a, a degree that, like you said, just doesn't make sense. Not that any amount of misogyny makes sense, but it was so overdone. And I wonder, I'll, I'll ask you first, what do we do with that in 2021? Like in, in a culture that if that came out today, we'd be like, never listen to this group. Right. Uh, what, what, do we, what do we do with that in 2021? Nate LeBlanc, he who says no one can be canceled. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's what we're doing now, which is talking about it and acknowledging that, yes, it's, it doesn't meet the, the mores of our time. It doesn't meet our personal politics or feelings it's that but uh, i i will kind of keep claiming as we've done on a couple of past episodes about stuff like this like it was important to me then it's important to me now it can be learned from um you know like you, it's e the easiest thing to do with gangster rap is to make the gangster film analogy it's like no yeah. one no one's not watching goodfellas right because sure. he beats you know uh, henry hill beats up karen yeah you know it's just like that's it's a it's a violent movie about violent people doing violent things that can be extremely compelling um that doesn't mean you should live your life by that um by that that you, you know that uh, set of rules or that um kind of uh I, you know I'm, I'm struggling with my words here it's like you, you don't be like it just listen to it nod your don't head a little like bit <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like a, a, you can do an active listening and kind of catalog the things that are working for you and the things that aren't but um at the end of the day there are other things about it that are to be recommended the the rhyming of mc ren the kind of uh, mm -hmm. it's like easy E's voice is like what they say oh. in um uh in, interior design is he's like the pop of color that makes oh, yeah. the whole thing work. Yeah. It's like every totally. time he comes on, even totally. though he's not a really great technical rapper, he makes the song so much better. 
totally. Just, he had so much presence, such a great tone that like works against the other guy's tones. Dre's obviously a genius, and this is where you start to see him. Um, I wanted to pick up on something you said earlier, Damone, how it's kind of bomb squatty. It's it's like sample delic in the way that, especially mm-hmm. 100 Miles and Running, I think right. is mm-hmm. the best, most concentrated version of this. Mm-hmm. Put it up against the Dust Brothers stuff on Paul's Boutique. Put it up against Bomb Squad. Put it up against anybody. He's going through, taking really small sections of records, layering them expertly, doing a ton of like, kind of like Foley work Mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. really deep skits like it's just he's just he's such a great record producer and these are some of his first masterpieces so you have to measure that against the horrific content in some ways and it's not you know would i want my kids listening to it that i don't have no probably not but will i continue to listen to it yeah i I probably will yeah yeah and my my son has discovered it too more with the movie as the porthole for mm-hmm. uh for listening but he gets to listen to it with a 2021 perspective and and not uh be a, a traumatized uh, seventh grader uh mouthing the words to ice cubes worst rhymes um <laughs> i have a theory though real quick since you brought it up nate um here's why here's the difference between uh straight out of compton and and goodfellas let's say as a as an example and this was a common argument that was made like throughout the 90s when they're like oh is this is this, uh, what did they call it? Not profanity. They called it something where it's like, is this indecent? Is this shit that should even mm-hmm. be sold? And it's like sex, misogyny, drugs are common things in, in entertainment have been forever and still are. Um, when you have scary black guys doing it, it just takes on a whole new uh, level of threat and like mm-hmm. menace that we talk about. It just sounds so much worse uh, than Ray Liotta playing a character when you hear Ice Cube, who's basically playing a character. Like, none mm-hmm. of these guys, with right. the exception of Easy, was really a, a street thug. Um, and they knew that. And it was interesting, it's interesting in the interview, Yella talks about that some, too. Have you but, guys ever read Jonathan Gold's profile of NWA, where he terms, he coins the term gangster rap? It's from the LA Weekly, no. the May 5th issue of 89. Okay. No, I have not. Uh, I read it today as part of my research. I've read it before. It's a, it's a masterful uh, profile. And he gets into that verisimilitude and mm-hmm. who, who's who and what's what and uh, kind of about how most of America at that time, especially like decision makers, thought NWA was a literal gang. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And they, and they, they skirted that line very closely, right, Dave? Yes, thank thank you for that, Nate. Um, yeah, I mean they they certainly played that up as much as possible. It's 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 kind of it's you know when we're talking about sort of the foresight of um the production and Ice Cube and and seeing how that later um he worked with the Bomb Squad on his solo stuff just yeah. makes so much yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, but sort of in that same vein, I mean it's hard to like hear the the misogyny as sort of like even humor because. Dr. Dre and the D Barnes story. I mean, he is a yeah. fucking misogynist piece of yeah. shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean, we can sit here and talk about how great he is as a visionary and, and E-40 as a visionary with um, Ruthless as well. But, you know, like they did blur the line. I, I, don't, I don't think fucking Ray Liotta was shooting Tommy guns at anyone, you know? Right, right, but, right, right. But, so I, I, I do get what you're saying, Damone, with, with, the, with the comparison not being wholly accurate. Yeah, but but it's thanks for bringing that up. Um, yeah, yeah, people that had committed real life transgressions, and here's here's why on many levels we have to reckon with Dre as as an abuser. 
mm-hmm. um, is that the D Barnes incident, both him and Eminem continued to use that as fodder to be like, ha ha ha. Remember the time you beat up that woman? Uh, and it's, it's, it's gross. And he's tried to backtrack a little bit from that, but let's be honest that some of that is the foundation upon which their fame is built. And I remember when Felicia Viator uh, came on our program, I, I did kind of ask her about that because uh, she, as a person who's been in the culture and is, was writing about LA rap, I'm like, how do you kind of reckon with that? And she had, you can go back and listen to the episode. She kind of had her own take on it. But I do feel like a lot of the early, um, what we would call gangster rap is built upon the foundation of an oppressed group of people, black men, um, tearing down black women as a foundation. Too Short does it, Cube does it, NWA does it. And if we are to fully reckon with uh, this music, you do have to kind of bring that to the fore and say that the, it, a lot of its cultural relevance was done at the expense of women and black women in particular. Um, so it's, it's super complicated. Um, the movie I thought skirted it a little bit. If we could just talk about the movie a little bit. Um, I feel like the movie as movies do is going to give you a dramatized version uh, of and what happened. Like executive producers. So exactly. It's and not, it, it's not the unauthorized, like deep, real take it's kind of like the super heroics of nwa against jerry heller yeah against um the police which like we really need we can talk about the movie but we have to talk about how much police violence is on these records and how no person who ever listened to nwa can ever be surprised when there's police brutality or even i could even tie it into like the police gangs in the yeah. LA Sheriff's District, which is a big yeah. thing in LA right now that I've been reading, you know, some about and following on Twitter mostly. It's just like they, they for all the bad they did, they did some good in yeah. that realm as well. Yeah. And it's, you have to take it as a total thing, um, the total package. And then we, when we talk about the movie, we end up kind of talking about their fashion sense and what made them so marketable. Um, with yellow a little bit in a minute but i actually think it's a really good movie like it's kind of moving in parts and starting with the bataram and bringing in that piece of la musical and like law enforcement history and easy's narrow escape it's a real grabber like i really think the movie is constructed well do you like the movie yeah i i I fuck with it uh f gary gray uh who who cut his teeth making rap videos uh, makes a really good movie, and it, it has a particular perspective. We also talked to, a, I believe it was Baby D from uh, J.J. Fad, who was like, how come we wasn't in the movie? Uh, we bank, we mm-hmm. bankroll Ruthless, right. like supersonic, uh, like M- bankroll. MCJB, but MCJB. Close. yeah. Yes. Uh, see, and I'm, now I'm butchering uh, her inclusion as well. So, yeah, but, it, but it's a movie, right? And like, uh, anytime- Bobby Jimmy and the Critters, uh, there's another great part in the um, Jonathan Gold piece where he's like, hmm, I wonder why they signed uh, the the main DJ from K-Day's group. Ah. That, w- that was probably a pretty good business decision. Right. Uh, yeah, Bobby, Jimmy, and the Critters of Who Farted Fame. One of the funniest yes. songs I had ever heard <laughs> when I was a kid at the same time I was hearing, uh, or somebody farted, I think. It doesn't matter. You guys <laughs> If you haven't, always do yourself do yourself a favor. <laughs> Dave, speaking of who farted, uh, how did you feel? How did you feel about the movie itself? I um, I really liked it uh, from a, a purely entertainment um, point of view. I thought um, the acting was really good, especially from uh, um, Ice Cube's son. Um, yeah, but you yeah. know, I mean, when you watch one of those like drama dramatizations, you know 
that history is left out and history is like sort of gleaned over. And as somebody who, you know, is into rap and into rap history, just like you guys, I'm sure you're like, I don't know about that one scene or where's that other scene, you know? Um, You you know what what stood out to me is um, that... um, that Dr. Dre, um, Jeremy Iveen documentary. Yes. Uh, what's that called again? I the keep... Defiant Ones. Yes. Uh, buy, buy some Beats headphones. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beats propaganda. Um, <laughs> uh, those behind the scenes footage uh, of of um, of uh, NWA and just early Dre, I thought were incredible. And so yeah. I think the movie, you know, is so Hollywood that it lacks that sort of, you know, those feels that you get from watching a cool scene from a cool documentary but um overall i thought it was entertaining and usually i hate stuff like that yeah it, it was interesting you'll hear in just a minute um Yella's take on the accuracy of the movie mm-hmm. uh and what he felt you know was real and what was left out um but i think in general because of where dr dre sits in the entertainment industry um he has incredible unprecedented power on to right. control a narrative so the, the legacy narrative about NWA is definitely, um, you know, a little bit of manufactured and packaged. And Dre has the power to do it. And not a lot of artists have that power um, to be able to kind of tell their story in that way. So super compelling as a group. Uh, the movie's dope if you haven't seen it. Um, as we kind of round home here and, and get towards our interview, NWA was a group, but it spawned a lot of kind of satellite groups and mm-hmm. uh, different things that came out of that camp. Uh, Dave, I'll start with you. What's your favorite non-NWA, NWA project, related uh, project? Um, I, this is an easy one. Um, no one can do it better, the DLC. Mm. Um, mm. The, the, the track, uh, The Doc and the Doctor is like one of my favorite fucking Dr. Dre productions of all time. It's another example of why we should bring back the instrumental hook. And yes. yeah, that's certainly, that's certainly the one. And, and, you know, just the whole history of DOC ruining his voice and getting into that accident just adds this like extra layer of mystique to it. He, um, his follow-up album, I mean, I found it, I found it on YouTube years later and it was like sad. It's tough. It's it's sad. It's it's so crazy to be this like gifted pen who sparks a bidding war. You're going to be the next big thing out of the West coast. You have this horrific accident. And your friends don't disown you. They just make you play a crackhead in like a million skits. <laughs> His little raspy voice. I'm like, oh, oh my man. God, that's the $20 sack pyramid. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. 25 yeah. skits on the two NWA records that I don't even know the titles of because I yeah. skip them all the time. It's just like, I was just like blown away when I was doing my research this weekend, walking around with this banging in my headphones. I was like, that's the DOC. <laughs> It's the so scratchy. It's so <laughs> scratchy. But yeah, so uh, that would be that, that, would, that be would be my pick. And I mean, you know, one of rap's greatest what ifs, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, important to note that the DLC, he, he lost his voice in a, in a tragic car accident. But on Snoop's first album, Doggy Style, a lot of that is the DLC. Like you're hearing it visage mm-hmm. through Dre and through Snoop. Mm-hmm. Um, but just just excellent writing. He re- he remained, and I think he's still doing some ghostwriting. Right. Um, he remains present in the culture and is a good follow on Twitter. Um, Nate, what is your uh, NWA cinematic universe pick? I cannot believe Dave didn't take America's Most Wanted. Like, <laughs> I, I could go America's Most Wanted or Death Certificate. I, I take everything up to including to. 
the predator like i love ice cube yeah i yeah i i I wanted to mention like ice cubes run but i thought you know i wanted to go a little no for sure i appreciate it uh yeah the fact we didn't pick the same record i guess is just something (laughs) i'm a little disappointed actually Yeah. (laughs) yeah i mean um ice nwa being a launching pad for ice cube solo mm-hmm. career is so incredible and it set him on this path of righteous anger about the business side side of, it. of yep. rap that mm-hmm. now brings us like the big three you know it's like <laughs> right. the movie friday like yeah, yeah, he's yeah. so like he's so entrepreneurial and so right. about getting the bag and he's had such an interesting yeah career and he's such a good rapper and good writer and he has such a great snarling presence on the mm-hmm. mic like just mm-hmm. the, just incredible and like for him to have come out of this um is just you know that's the beginning of something really really special huge totally. yeah they're, huge. They're just such a nucleus a powerful nucleus of dudes i mean they're just gonna like uh, uh, break apart and and splatter everywhere you know Lit so. adams yeah what about i loved how you put it in the the prompt uh demand the nwacu <laughs> <laughs> we have one one movie and about 30 records so far what's your pick uh my pick again if we're going to consider things for everything that they are is uh easy ease uh debut album easy does it which at the time uh after it came out i was like this is better than straight out of compton like in Ooh. some ways it's it's a superior record um, especially the song Eight Ball Rollin', mm-hmm. um, which again, horrifically problematic, but well constructed. Uh, Easy E is wrapping Ice Cube's words and giving them um, the type of impact that I would compare like to an old dirty bastard, where you're like, yeah. I am listening, I am listening to a person for his voice and presence mm-hmm. um, and the way he delivers the rhyme. And kind of the 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 credibility. I remember at the time, somehow we knew that Easy was the actual gangster. Like there was something about it. He wasn't good enough at rapping to be there of his own merit. Maybe we thought. Yeah. So I, I really think Easy does it um, is actually a better record, and I think it comes from a place of them getting on and figuring out some things, and then Dre going, "I'm gonna produce." Um, this amazing record and in many ways it's just another NWA record like they're all right. over it's it all, it's all the same people doing mm-hmm. all these different projects which we see a lot in contemporary rap culture right. and it's an it's an interesting like uh, factory approach to making music that again yes. hugely influential yes it's like uh, Motown with a sawed off shotgun um, <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, yeah we, we were excited to talk to DJ Yella about all of the above a super cool cat who who gave us the goods and then he has his own interesting career arc that he talks about as well so let's get into it this is our interview with dj yella dad bod rap pod Dad Bod Rap Pod, every week we have interviews with people who are moving and shaping hip-hop culture. And sometimes we have actual legends join us on the program. Today is one of those days from the world's most dangerous group, producer DJ Yella is on the program. What's going on, man? Oh, not too much. Not too much. Just hanging out. 
Awesome. Awesome, man. <laughs> glad, glad you could be with us. We want to talk about your, your storied career, uh, but I, I wanted to start off by asking about uh, your role in the world-class wrecking crew for folks. Uh, a lot of listeners of our program don't know about a time before quote unquote gangster rap existed. Uh-huh. Uh, you guys were making a particular sound on the West coast. Uh, I'm really fascinated by that time and that sound. Can you talk a little bit about how you got involved with them and the type of music you were, you were making back then? Um, well, it started out. It was a, the wrecking crew was DJs in the club in LA already. And, and I joined them as a DJ. This was maybe two and a half years before Dre even was even around. So I was one of the DJs along with a guy named DJ unknown. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we used to DJ every Friday and Saturday night, you know, every week for a couple of years. And we started doing like mixtapes in there, selling them. I mean, like the original mixtapes, actual cassette tapes, tapes. of yeah. mixes. <laughs> you know, nowadays it's just songs, but we used to actually mix them. You know, we was trying to create or trying to start something, taking DJ to a different level back then. Remember, there was no Google, no TikTok. None of that, you know, all that stuff. YouTube, it wasn't none of that. So we had to do everything from scratch. So we had to learn on the fly everything. And we just, we did that for quite a while before I even met Dre. And so this is like, what, 1985, 86? No, 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 no. I, I joined, I was a DJ in the club probably about 82 Okay. Wow. Maybe about 82. And, and the 81, sound, I don't know, but I say 82. 82. And the sound of that time, was it, were you guys riffing a lot off of Planet Rock? Like, where did, where did the sound come from? Um, well, we actually didn't start making music. We was DJs first. Then when Dre came around, I met him, and we hooked up and we bonded. We just, you know, we just started. We didn't start really start music until we seen the Run DMC show. They came mm. to L.A. for the mm. first time and we seen a little 10 minute show. And me, me and Dre sat on the side of the stage like, is that it? That's all you got to do. <laughs> they only had sucker MCs out at the time. Right. Like, that's right. it. So then one of the one of one of the earlier members named clientele, me and him actually did the first record from the wrecking crew. It was mm. a record called Slice. I didn't like it, but at the time it was just opening the door. And then Dre did surgery, and then that's where we started doing our music. Yeah, we listened to Planet Rock, Kraftwerk. You know, Kraftwerk was the originator. People don't understand. Uh, Planet Rock was bit off of Kraftwerk. Right, right, you know, right, right. TransUnion right. or whatever the song was. <laughs> it just, we just, yeah, the East was there first. You know, we, so we just created just a sound techno sound or whatever you want to call it 128 bpm that was the speed so yeah you know just we just (laughs) created that and we just did it that's great man you know um you know you mentioned dre and he's such an imperative part of the history i just want to get your your thoughts just as a human to human like what what was it like meeting dre and sort of like what you know how did he strike you and how did everything move from y'all meeting to nwa um well, I was the DJ. I was the number one, I guess, the number one DJ in L.A. Nice. And somebody from the neighborhood brought this little skinny kid, you know, wanted to battle me. And I'm like, 
we know who I am. You know, I'm the, you know, <laughs> it's me here. So, but we never battled, but that's how we bonded and met. And then we DJ for quite a while before even music came around. We were just the DJs in the club. Then we started off doing bootleg records, which was a mix on one side of the 12 inch and the other side was just blank. That was the beginning of bootlegs. And then we started doing mixtapes, you know, real mixtapes. Again, I had already did them earlier, but we started doing them again. Then we started doing mixes for the radio, K-Day and stuff like that. And then we end up, because we weren't making no money in the Wrecking Crew after a couple of albums and stuff. Then we just, they just formed NWA. I had to go to work. You know, I needed money. You know, I, I got to work. So I went and work, and Dre and them did Boys in the Hood and 8-Ball. Then he came to me and said, hey, we should just make this super group. You know, just put people together to make one group called NWA. So that's how we got started with that. That's amazing, man. It's uh, it's one of the you know best stories in hip hop, and we can't imagine what it was like to see it from the inside. Can you uh, can you talk to us about what it was like um, to kind of have the group take off like that? Like, how did you feel? Did it did it happen so fast that you you weren't processing it, or do you get what I'm saying? Um, not it actually didn't take off that fast. It took a little while. We had to really work. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had to really because we did a few singles and a few maxi singles or whatever it is, but we had to really. The Cuba went to school for a year, and during that whole year, we was out. I would say promoting it, but we was out working, yeah. you know, doing little shows, little bitty shows and stuff, driving to the Seattle. You know, we mm-hmm. we had to drive around. We wasn't flying, and then it just. So it didn't really, it didn't just take off because we just was working. You know, me and Dre was always in the studio. But our first gold record and gold single was from J.J. Fad. Mm-hmm. It wasn't N.W.A., wasn't Boys, wasn't none of that. That was our first gold record and single. And then, you know, we just started doing the Straight Outta Compton, Easy's album first. You know, we just started working. But, you know, something we never felt like stars or anything. We felt more like stars in the DJ days and the wrecking crew mm. around the club, around the live people all the time. That's where we felt like some stars. By the time we got to NWA, we was working so hard and just putting back to back to back to back coming out. We didn't even have time to really think about it. Yeah, that's uh, it's kind of, it's a crazy story. Obviously we've, we've all seen the movie straight out of Compton that kind of dramatizes um that story but can you talk a little bit about the the influence of easy e on the group and what it was like uh having him involved um the thing about e was he wasn't a rapper not at all not by far i can battle him and beat him and i ain't a rapper (laughs) but he would he had the sound and he had the look Mm. which was just that was incredible it was the look that you can't go to the store and find this look. Right. It was just made. He, he was made perfect for the part. He had that sound, and, and people just loved that sound. And then with the lyrics, the early lyrics from Cube, they was, you know, like harsh, you know, regular street talk. Because we rapped about, 
we open our door in the ghetto, that's what we rapped about. We didn't rap about yeah. Disneyland, New York, <laughs> all these other places, because we never been. So we yeah. only rapped about the street. And the one good thing about it, the ghetto's everywhere, all mm. around the world. That's why people could relate. And then when they hear him cussing and just talking like, saying stuff that never been said on the record before, it just, yes. boom, just it just opened the world up right there. Were you guys at all concerned about that? Because it's a major shift if you look at the kind of timeline of early 80s into the late 80s and having this really explicit content. Did you ever kind of think, ah, maybe this isn't going to work? It's just because it's too it's too intense or was the reaction so immediate you knew it was going to be what it ended up being? No, not really. We just <laughs> did what we wanted to do. Mm. That's the way we talked. That's the way we said it. So we, we made the song what we like. If, if people like it, that's great. If they don't like it, it's still great. We just made, we didn't make the songs to, oh, let's get the ears of these people. Let's get the ears of these people. Let's change our stuff. No, nah, we didn't make stuff for the radio. You know, we had to come back later and make radio versions, but it was made just for the street. That's all it was. Street music, ghetto music, whatever you want to call it. It wasn't even called gangster rap until some reporter or whoever gave us labeled us that but we just did what we wanted and i guess that's what makes it so unique that we love at the time we loved making music and our lyrics and stuff so we didn't try to please nobody we just did our sound that's great man you know before we move forward in the chronology a little bit i i know that you started off um as a drummer and you know, I, there's those, those fa that that famous lyric of um, "Yellow Boy in the Drum Getting Dumb Programming," a beat that's <laughs> hidden. You know, like yeah. you know, can you talk a little bit about like your knowledge of the drums? Um, You're young, and how you applied that to NWA. And and is there a, an NWA track with the drums that you programmed that stands out? Um, well, I played the drums when I junior high, maybe or middle school, what they call about seventh grade. And I just got on the drums and played. No, I didn't look at nobody. I didn't teach. Nobody taught me. I just knew how to play. And mm -hmm. then, you know, I was in the Compton High Band. I was a drummer and all this stuff. But once we got to the machines and stuff, Dre wasn't, a, wasn't no uh, musician at all. We wasn't musicians. I was the only drummer. So, mm -hmm. but, you know, I didn't know that was really a musician back then. I just played the drum. But we just learned the machines and we just, okay, this is how we wanted the sound. This is what we do. And it just, I don't know. It just, it came so simple and so natural. Then I started playing the drums, one on each album. Mm. Easy's album, Straight Outta Compton. I played it on Doc's album. You know, I, I just started playing drums here and there. But we just... I don't know. It was so simple. We just did our thing. We just, this is how we want to do it. This is how we like it. And it was simple to program. I mean, all of them. I like all of them. I like Compton in the house. And that's one of the yeah, older yeah. ones and the more simpler ones to me. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm really curious about how NWA dressed and presented themselves. And I think it's a really big key to the group's success. You guys were easily recognizable. You looked like a group and you looked like where you came from. Uh, do you remember, were, were there conversations about 
that and like having like kind of a presence or was that just literally the clothes you had on and so you just dressed the way you normally dressed well he that's his that was his dress that because mm. he he's the only one that was not from the streets but on the streets you know doing his thing so that was his look mm-hmm. and you know it's amazing that that look came all the way and is still going now yeah we've made professional football teams baseball basketball all of them got black somewhere in their uniform (laughs) it's just like wow where's our royalties (laughs) and we just started wearing you know the raiders gear and it just that's just what we wore we like me i didn't wear it all the time you know i bring my clothes on the hanger on photo shoot day i put it on take the picture take it back off put on my shorts or whatever i got on but we didn't talk about that it was never discussed it was just really it was just a look because you look if you look at the earlier stuff straight out of compton and some of the earlier pictures we weren't all dressed in black right Mm -hmm. you know i had angels jersey with a laker jacket you know we just had Mm. different stuff from the hood but he look was that was his look right there that's Mm. so that's so dope so uh you guys obviously go on to kind of take over the world for a couple years there. And then, uh, and then there's kind of this turmoil and friction, which, uh, which is uh, displayed in, in the movie. I'm wondering, I wanted to ask you about, you were kind of neutral, like in that whole thing. And I remember even being as a kid of like, whose side is he on? Like who's, yeah. who's going with who, what was that like to kind of be in between? And were you getting pressure from cube side or, or the NWA side to kind of, to diss each other um nah see people think we was mad at each other nobody was mad at each other mm. what ruined the group and it started off by cube leaving first was the outsiders looking inside what mm. they can gain what they can come up or whatever they motives was that's what broke up the group it wasn't mm. the group itself it mm. was People looking over shoulders and, oh, you should be this, you should be that, whatever, whatever they were saying. So that kind of kind of turmoil and then the diss songs and stuff. Yeah, I, I was always, I didn't lean either way. I just, because <laughs> I remember the night before shooting that scene in the movie, Cube called me up and said, hey, I wasn't there. So what, how was it when the song came right, out? I just, right. and I t- told him, and that's what the actor said. I said, you got us. That's it. There wasn't no. So that was real. That was really what yeah. you said at that time. Yeah, that was that was said. That's all was said. We didn't like. Oh, we finna get him at. Yeah. We didn't worry about that because remember he took a whole song to talk about us. We just did <laughs> pop shots here and there. We never dedicated a song to him right. at all. But nobody was ever mad at each other. It's mm-hmm. just what it looked like on the records. You know, it just. Even when the diss songs came with Dre and E, E already knew that I, I Dre, I have nothing against Dre. I have nothing against you. So he knew not to ask me to be in the videos mm, mm. or none of that stuff. You know, I just like, nah. He know he he wouldn't even ask. He know I ain't gonna I'm gonna diss him for it. No. Because yeah. I remember Dre when he left, when he was about to leave, he he called me in the morning and said, Hey, I'm gone. Are you coming? And I never asked him. I gave my answer in the year 2019. 
<laughs> at his house. We met up late 2019, and that's when I gave him the answer. I, I didn't have an answer then. So I was caught in the catch-22, like, uh, go, or I should have went, but I didn't want to leave. You know, I just, I never said, I'm going to stay with E. It just, I didn't give an answer, so I was just put in that side. Mm. So I just, always neutral. I have nothing against nobody. That's dope, man. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, we, we mentioned, we mentioned Dre, we mentioned Cube, we mentioned Easy e of course, but you know, um, you earlier mentioned DOC and, you know, I want to sort of get your insight on him as an artist, because obviously, um, you know, everybody knows the story of him having the accident and his voice changing afterwards. Can you give us an idea of DOC pre-accident? Oh, no, D DOC was about to be the next solo artist, mm -hmm. the baddest solo artist, because his, 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 his skills was just different from everybody. And his writing skills were different, because you can start hearing it on some of the earlier songs, the We Want Easy, and a few songs mm -hmm. you can hear where Doc's lyrics was there, mm -hmm. you know, because he would start writing some, writing Dre's, writing some of E's, because E liked the rap. Doc's lyrics. Mm. Once Doc started coming around, he just felt more easily he can rap it. Because Doc is one of them rappers that can do a song on one take. Mm. I mean, he just he just was there. And he was about to take over the solo artist. He was going to be the number one. But, wow. you know, he just he, you know, he got, you know, whatever he was doing, you know, getting out of control. I don't know what it was. And the accident, he should have been killed in it, but he wasn't. It just took his voice, and he, but his pen was still left. Mm. So he went on writing for years, still writing. Yeah, that first solo record is so great. Uh, thanks for kind of giving us the, the insight. Um, when I was doing my research, I saw that you produced uh, For the Love of Money. Uh, yeah. Bone Thugs. Uh, what a great song. Can you tell us any stories or any like oh, yeah. reminiscence I, of that time? I remember... Me and E, this was after Dre was gone, and me and E did a show in Cleveland, and I was standing, me and E was in the backstage and dressing room. He, he went somewhere, and these five young guys came up singing and rapping. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm, in my mind, I'm just like, what is that? I said, then E came big. I said, hey, why don't you guys go over there and talk to him? So they went over there to talk to him. By the time we got off of that little tour or whatever we was on, they was in L.A. already. I'm like, wow, who is these guys? Right. And it just, I had done the For the Love of Money track already from another group called Yomo Markey that got mm -hmm. caught up in red tape. It didn't go nowhere, but the track was still there. And they mm -hmm. heard the track and they just rapped on it. And it was just, Crazy. they loved the song. So it's the same original track that I made originally. That's dope. That's that's dope. Do do you feel like uh, you get proper credit uh, when it comes to kind of all your contributions to arguably one of the greatest rap groups of all time, um, and as well as as the Ruthless Records stuff? Do you think you get you get proper credit as a DJ producer? Um. It don't matter to me. I don't. Yeah. I, don't <laughs> I mean, I could just look on the wall and all the plaques and, and all these whatever, you know, that, that don't bother me. I mean, because 
because I guess because the DJ is before my name, so they think I'm a DJ. I'm not a DJ. We used to DJ when we got to the NWA. Me, me and Drayden and DJ no more. We just produce. But on stage, we we did the DJ. Other hmm. than that, I never DJ. I didn't DJ no more until just after the movie. You know where I DJ around the world now. I've been to a hundred countries in four years. So, wow. but wow. I don't. I don't. That don't bother me, you know. No, you could just pick up the picture, like, oh, he's in the group or whatever. <laughs> that, you know, right? <laughs> you know, only one cover I missed was the NWA and the Posse, and I was yeah. sick that yeah. day. I remember oh. I, had, I had food poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> sure did. Oh man, that's crazy. So, so can you just talk a little bit about like uh, you retired? You retired from music, supposedly. Completely. Uh, no, I'm complete. still retired. Oh, okay, so you're <laughs> I haven't you're done any music. What, because what? when E died, we was at the gravesite, and then all the people left. He, they put him in the ground and put the dirt on. Like in that moment, I said, "I'm done with music." That's it. Mm. That quick. I didn't have to think. Like, no, I was done. And I said, "I'm gonna put 100 into doing adult movies," mm. and I did them for 15 years, 350 movies. So that's what I did. And I did that. I went into that as like doing records again, just a producer. I filmed them. I took the pictures. I edited them. I made the hip hop beats for them. I did everything but starring them. <laughs> I mean, well, the hand might have been a little bit starring. <laughs> Special guest, DJ Yella. Yeah, oh, but that's, that's hilarious. I, 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 I'm done with music. But okay. a year later after he died, Somebody contacted me to do a solo album. And then Ruthless, well, what Ruthless was the courts at the time. They contacted me to do E's last album because I had his album in the studio. People mm. was looking for that album. They wanted to pay me to get it and hold it. But it was just in the studio. I forgot all about that album for a whole year. I didn't think nothing about that album. And then Priority contacted me all at the same time. And this was 96. For the greatest hits, the first one, mm. I had to put that together. So I did three albums at one time, and I was like, "Ah, I'm done. You know, I'm I'm good." <laughs> that, and and that was it. But you said after after the movie came out, there's kind of this resurgence, and so you you picked up DJing again. You're kind of yeah. DJ came back to me. I, I didn't want to DJ no more, but <laughs> I just DJ around the world, not like a um, not like a club DJ. I do like I perform like a group, mm. you know, I don't I don't play nothing but old 80s hip hop and 90s, late 80s. And that's it, because people around the world, they want to hear the old stuff. And I, I don't sit there and mix and all that stuff. No, I, I perform like like it's a show. I, I do the big festivals, everything all around. I've been to Bali, Sri Lanka, all over Australia, UK, Europe. I mean, Korea, Vietnam, I mean, uh, Tokyo, China, Malaysia, Indonesia. I I mean, it's it's so many places that I never even heard of. Dubai. And I just (laughs) DJ. Yeah, I don't mess with music, but I just DJ. That's awesome. That's wonderful, man. You know, and it's so great to, you know, to hear that you're traveling and and sort of spreading your music and your history. you know, as we sort of bring this to a close, uh, we mentioned Straight Outta Compton, the movie and the resurgence of interest. But 
your book, Straight Outta Compton, My Untold Story, mm-hmm. uh, DJ Yella. Um, can you give us an idea of sort of why you felt sort of your story needed to be told? And was there anything in that narrative that, you know, the folks should know about? Um, you know, it just came to me to write the book during the whole, it took me a year and a half during the whole pandemic, I wrote the book. And I didn't write it because my character has smaller parts in the movie and all that. You know, they didn't do my story. Nah, I didn't care about all that. I just, it just came to me to do it. And it just, my story fills in a lot of blanks that people don't know. Mm. The movie is only like 65% right. You know, it just had to be Hollywood-wise. It had to make stuff look bigger than what it was. But my story, I just, I went from young to 2020. And I just, I put it down, everything. You know, just what happened, the breakup before the group, before Wrecking Crew, Easy's death, all kind of stuff. All, all it, it's amazing that I remember all that. <laughs> 328 pages, 93,800 words. Woo! Woo! <laughs> That's impressive. But it, it tells a lot of missing stuff. Okay, uh, dope. G- given yeah. what you said about the movie, um, was there still part of you that like was kind of uh, excited to see yourself on the big screen or to like see the uh, that time in history captured? Like, what, did you still have a little like movie magic to it or was, were you too close to it? No, it was, it was different to see, you know, like, wow, we was that big, I guess. You know, I just, we never, well, I'd never really realized we did so much so fast. I'm just like, wow, we, wow. It was, a, it was just amazing to see that a big company, Universal, wanted to, spend all this money to make a movie about five kids from, you know, Compton, just making yeah. music. You know, it's, it's interesting. Amazing. I'm a, we're, we're fans of yours from the very beginning. I was a little kid when the music came out, but I'm a collector. Mm-hmm. I have all the records right behind me. Yeah. But I, when I think about NWA now, I think about the movie. There's mm-hmm. something in particular about movies and like the narrative device of movies where uh, like, I feel like we spent a lot of this interview talking to you about that rather yeah. than things that actually happen. And I don't know how that feels. I guess I just like, I wanted to see from your perspective, like, is it still kind of cool or were you kind of like, we'd rather people know the truth and that's why you wrote the book for instance. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just different. I mean, to have your story captured, you know, mm. just like, wow. You know, like, okay, that's what we look like, or that's what, we, you know, just like, it, it's just amazing, you know, it's like an honor, like, mm. us? Because when yeah. we made the music, when we was doing the music, we never thought about a gold record, platinum, triple platinum, double, we never thought about none of that stuff. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a movie, a number one movie, it was the number one biopic musical at that time. Right. It was just like, we never would have, th- if we would have been thinking, oh, this is what we're going to be set, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. Mm. 35 mm. years later. That's crazy. 35, not 30 days, 35. Yeah. It's just, it's one of them rare groups. Uh, that group was blessed. People don't understand. It was blessed. Look at the all, think about, think about this. Go way back to just me and Drake. 
That egg, it was an egg. It was me and Dre. Think about all that came after that. It's a lot of Eminem, Snoops, yeah, and 50 right. Cents, and right. Cubes, and Red. It's so much came from that one little egg. It's just like, wow. It's just an honor, you know. I, you know, I just try to stay humble. I don't, I don't know. It, it, it's just amazing. <laughs> Man, uh, been amazing to have you come on and, and like share these stories with us again we're just we're huge fans and uh i mean really that egg changed music you know yeah. there's kind of before and after nwa so uh dj yellow we really appreciate you coming on man thank you so much thank you very much All right. That was our interview with DJ Yella. There have been several moments on this program where I literally felt like I was just like touching history. Like, yeah, like here's rap history. And like, I'm, I'm right there with it. This was definitely one of those moments. Shout out to DJ Yella. Um, super humble guy, right, Dave? Yeah, super humble, um, like almost soft spoken. And it's probably like our misinterpretation, just because every time I talk to someone from nwa i feel like they're gonna be yelling at me you know what i mean or just like be extra tough but no um super mellow dj mellow and uh (laughs) you know it's 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 always an honor and um you know shout out to um his book as well Uh, hopefully cats pick that up Um, yep that seems that kind of seems like sort of the um perspective that that got left out you know what i mean dj Mm -hmm. so absolutely nate uh how did it feel to like talk to somebody from the world's most dangerous group, but also a porn producer? Like, how did <laughs> you didn't have that on your dad bod rap pod bingo card, did you? Uh, I didn't, and I'm gonna do what most rap producers do here and quote Modest Mouse. Uh, they have a song where they're like, uh, she was hanging with the cinematographer, but we knew he was really a pornographer. <laughs> so it's like we're we're hanging with a legendary hip hop figure, but in the back of my mind, I'm always right. like. Tell us more. Yeah. yeah. Can you give us a little behind the scenes? Scenes, <laughs> scenes of behind. I have to do some research. <laughs> Got to get the tape for my computer camera. But, uh, yeah. No, I don't know, man. <laughs> he, it's always surreal to talk to a legend. It's still like, it's like the 80s cats, like the cats who yeah. like put out records yeah, right. when I was really young. It right. still feels very weird for me to be talking to them. He's hella normal. He actually yeah. reminds me in some ways of some of my uncles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like wow. he's, big he uncle has, energy. Yeah, he has yeah. uncle vibes. Like I can see the sandals mm-hmm. down underneath the grill. You know, it's just <laughs> right. he just he's just a cool guy. I like I enjoyed talking to him. It was it was rad. Totally. So um, totally. you know, it's that part of his life is behind him. He had a whole second act, and now he's basically just kind of like living living on a chill life which like, coast that everyone's dream totally, oh so totally. much coasting i i appreciated him kind of uh orienting us in and where he's at now uh yeah. which is yeah. always cool when the the ogs do that and so um and also i didn't know how to phrase the porn questions 
And so he just kind of went into it, which is very helpful uh, because to answer all of it's my- It's very matter of fact for him, right? It's yeah, just totally. What, it's just what happened. Just Absolutely. Just send, send us some links, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on record and admit I was, uh, I am of the age where uh, video stores were a thing. So there were these places for our younger listeners yes. where- they weren't like Blockbuster. So there was like Blockbuster, but then there was like the off-brand video mm-hmm. rental spot. And in all those spots, not all of them, but most of them, they had like an adult movie room, which was like guarded by the two swinging like cowboy doors. <laughs> so I remember going, allegedly, to some of these spots and you'd go in there and you'd see a movie and it would be yellow on the cover. Like, no hey, way. hey, this is produced by DJ Yellow. So wow. my worlds just came together in a really important way. <laughs> um, so it was great to talk to him about that. And uh, it, it reminds me of a, a product that we are pitching right now, which is called Manscaped, which I imagine, I don't know what the people in Yellow's movies were using for their pubes uh, to give it that trimmed porn star look. But they wish they would have had the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. So we want to let you know that support for Dad Bod Rap Pod is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code DADBOD at manscaped.com. I imagine when Yellow was making movies, and this is like early 2000s, I think, late 90s. Um, I, I think they were just going off like Gillette, which sounds totally. horrible. It's a, it's uh, a, bunch, a bunch of Clyde Stubblefields, so. Yeah, <laughs> 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 That is such a quality joke. I just, I feel you need to let that sink in. Very funny. Um, uh, the funky trimmer. Um, so, so yeah. So I, I imagine that like, when I think of that, how you would do that and like doing it with a razor, I'm just like, no, I'm never going to do that. That's, that's freaking crazy. When I do it on my face, I get ingrown hairs and shit. Like, so I, I definitely can identify with like, um, shaving and doing it with a quality product definitely makes a difference right nate yeah dude uh shout out to dj yellow get a lawnmower for your fella uh, <laughs> uh, used term a couple of weeks ago when we weren't talking about this because we, this is not what we sit around talking about all the time you told me your barber lined up your beard for the first yes. time since COVID. That's so does right. that mean what I think it means where it's like he literally sets the line and then when you trim it yourself, you hold to that I, line I, I that try he to establishes? Hold, I try to run the line as it were. Um, I try to hold it, but it, it does it never quite works because he okay. has the, the, you know, the barber grade tools and I tried to shave my own beard this weekend and I did that thing where you're like, oh, I'm just going to take it down a little bit and then just kind of shaved the whole shit off. So now you guys can't see, but I low-key have trucker mustache right now. <laughs> um, which is hot. It was the first thing I remarked on when we opened the Zoom yeah. today. Because, yeah. because Nate's the homie. But like, um, Howdy, partner. <laughs> you look like Emmanuel Lewis when we talked on. But it's all good. I, in, like, a, uh, in a cool Dave way. Dave Winfield, can you go get Damone? <laughs> God damn it. 
Uh, so, but with the Manscaped, what Nate reminded me of is I should have pulled that shit out because it's got the guards, it's got the light, it, it it's it's a precision product, right? Do it right. Use the light. <laughs> do it hard. Use the guard. Guard. <laughs> I can do this literally all day. Nate is uh is doing his supernatural freestyle. I know totally. The subject <laughs> Manscaped. Someone hand me an orange. Yes. Uh, hand me a pube. <laughs> uh we we definitely appreciate manscape for sending us uh the lawnmower 4.0 it's been a very interesting journey to kind of get familiar with the product and also to talk about the product so look manscape.com use the code dad bod you get 20 percent off and you also support the program uh so we really appreciate everybody who has been going in droves i'm sure to manscape.com and uh just promise that you'll think about us like when you're doing it like when you'll just be like man episode 187 was lit wasn't it um or don't whatever it's up to you uh but we appreciate manscape support for this program uh you know what we also appreciate travel we're gonna travel bros are you yeah, i'm in an guys? airport in quite a while i, I, don't I haven't seen since covid yeah uh, quadruple masking uh Uh, idaho is uh the the site or boise idaho is the site for tree fort music festival dad bod rap pod will be covering tree fort music festival uh in september 22nd through 24th it's like so soon now like i never thought it would happen and now it's like i have to like find a ride to the airport (laughs) so soon it's time man i'm I'm excited about it um not excited about the uh the covid hospitalization numbers so we're gonna need boise to get it together before we hit (laughs) (laughs) if y'all you want to see us Get it together before we hit town. But we are excited about the festival. Uh, Tree Fort Music Festival has been going on for a while. The lineup is incredible. Uh, you've got Open Mike Eagle, Arm and Hammer, Prefu 73. Uh, but there's a slew of other acts. Nate, who are you excited to see beyond the those just listed? Yeah, um, I, I like this band called Habibi. I really liked their first record. Um, uh, they are playing the festival. I'd like to catch them if possible. Um, I am a fan of Japanese Breakfast, the um, the uh, festival's full-on headliner, headliner, both as a musician and as an author. Her uh, Michelle Zahner is her real name, and her book "Crying in H Mart" is a, a very powerful oh shit memoir okay. of uh, you know losing okay. her mother. And H Mart mm-hmm. is a sick ass. Uh, sickest korean grocery store so yes i just feel like we'd have so much in common if we talked um so anyway there you know there's a bunch um reggie watts and john tahada's act wajada or wahada i'm not sure how they're saying it is uh is gonna be there um yeah a ton uh the monophonics who was the backing band for um kelly finnegan among Mm -hmm. other kind of uh new soul Mm -hmm. artists like it has a good a good spread across um different genres um i i can't remember the second half of his name and i have never been able to say it right but um the jazz artist christian scott mm-hmm. i forget the second part of his name is going to be there mm-hmm. um i it's think like, that would be a like, pretty incredible show like a tune day a juda or something like that oh, that was yes, what i was yes, trying yes, not yes. to do yeah. yes thank <laughs> thanks for leaning into that dave <laughs> let's hope he never listens to this but yeah, um, i know yeah, no, there's there's a great uh, kind of gambit of, of different types of acts that are going to be there. Dave, besides admiring uh, Japanese breakfast, 
what else are you looking forward to seeing? At um, some hopefully some pussy out there, and by that I mean mannequin pussy. The group uh, that's off of Epitaph. I'm out of here, guys. I'm out of here. Hey, oh <laughs> man, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> This, wow. this is some serious nerd shit, but you guys, I did this in the beginning of the show. I will do it at the end. On the show, Mayor of Easttown, the Daughters Band plays mannequin P-word songs like as if they're their own songs. But because of COVID, Japanese Breakfast had to be the person to coach them on how to act like a real band. So wow. it's all connected, boys. Wow. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's what you get with the, uh, with the dad bod rap pod. We're, we're going out there. We're going to obviously cover the rap acts. We're also going to bring you some content, hopefully, from some other acts. I am personally looking forward to seeing the band uh, Juju play. Mm. X-I-U, X-I-U, uh, the homie Jamie Stewart uh, founded that band, which is San like... San Jose legend. San Jose legend, kind of uh, noise, uh, very interesting electronic-ish music. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to see and do. We encourage you, if you are so inclined, to uh, come out to Boise for Tree Fort Music Festival, which is running from the 22nd to the 26th. If you would like to buy us a drink, we will be there the 22nd through the 24th. We also accept weed and mushrooms, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. Or at least Just only from goes. strange people in public <laughs> during yeah. pandemics who we don't know. That's the only. Well, here's the thing I'll take weed from you. I can't smoke with you right now. Unfortunately, I'm really, we'd really yeah. like to, but yeah, I would sadly, love to. I want to put that hotel. out right now. We can't, <laughs> yeah. we can't be out here. <laughs> yeah, we can't be out here sharing <laughs> joints like that. Uh, I heard this great story about um, uh, Martha from Martha and the Vandellas, um, who also doesn't, going back in time, doesn't share joints. She's like, I got mono once. And I'm Whoa. not doing that again. So wow. there was uh, nowhere so, to hide from that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Nate is 10 for 10 with like seven three-pointers. Right um, but yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. Uh, we'd love to kind of connect with folks. We've had a, a DJ from Boise reached out to us and, and wants to connect. So we're, we're excited about all of the above. And we are looking forward to Tree Fort Music Festival coming up. September 22nd through the 26th. We are the Dad Bod Rap Pod, as you know, because you click this link and listen to the program. You can connect with us on Twitter at Dad Bod Rap Pod, on Instagram at Dad Bod Rap Pod. We might could have like three or four mugs left. So if you haven't ordered a Dad Bod Rap Pod mug, please do so. We are proud members of the Stony Island Podcast Network. Uh, shout out to our patron, Open Mike Eagle, who is writing for Family Feud right now. No, I don't know. He's writing for a show. He's being all coy about it. Like, I know, I, I know, and I know he can't announce it, but now I'm just going to insert the names of shows. Like, he's writing for All in the Family. We're really proud of him. That's funny. Uh, and uh, we're, you know, we're glad to be part of a winning team uh, here with Stony Island. So, in summation, us liking rap, going to Boise not getting COVID. We are <laughs> the Dad Bod Rap Pod.
Stony Island Audio.